0: Six seconds left, first and goal at the two, empty backfield. Watson goes shotgun, ball on the left hash, wide side of the field to the right. Watson takes a snap, rolls right, looks into the end zone. Hunter and the cut it touchdown,
1: touchdown, touchdown with a second left. Watson hits rim throw and Clemson grabs a 34, 31 lead and is one second away from the second national championship in school history. Welcome into Forever at Clemson Tiger, and this week we have a different guest on. Typically we have uh, former Tiger players on, talking about their recruitment, their time at Clemson, and their life now. But today I've got Scott Reimer from the Tiger pregame show on. Scott, thank you so much for your time.
0: Well, it's a pleasure, and I, I feel uh, feel kind of honored, you know, to be the first non-player uh, to do this because, you know, I have, as you know, a tremendous respect for our players, and uh, and I know uh, I've enjoyed listening to them, and I, I'll enjoy listening to the future ones, I'm sure. And and uh, and 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 I'll also say before we get going, you know, I, I appreciate um, all that you do uh, for Clemson. It's uh, you know, it's a, it's a great
1: joy of mine
0: to, to log on to to Twitter or Facebook every day and and, and catch some of these uh, old videos uh, that you post. And, and it brings back a lot of memories to me from a personal level. So I appreciate all that you do.
1: Well, I, I thank you for that. You know, it's been a joy talking to the players and uh, obviously all really good guys, um, stand-up guys in their community doing a lot of good things. And it's it's been really humbling to – talk to those guys and and understand uh, the sacrifices they make uh, to just be some of them to just be a part of the team. Uh, It's been eye opening and humbling at the same time. So I thank you for your kind words. Let's start talking about the history now on September the first, what I should have said up front is on September the first, you will be doing your two hundredth tiger pregame show, and that's what got- that's what got us down this line and and got you on the podcast. That's what brought it to my attention number two hundred uh that's a lot of pregame shows. Let's talk about how it how did it all begin the history well, of the tiger it, pregame show
0: yeah it it is kind of a a great journey. And, um, you know, unfortunately, we were, you know, kind of fortunately and unfortunately, 200th would have been the national championship game last year had had Clemson uh, gotten past Alabama in the semifinal, which was really cool. We were looking forward to maybe having the 200th um, in, in the championship game. But as it's turned out, although I would have rather won the football game from 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 the standpoint of um of of kind of reminiscing about these shows it's given me the off season to really look back and kind of uh rewind through all of them and so i'm in the process of of uh audio recording similar to what you're doing with this um you know 15 of the of the of the moments that kind of stick out the most to me and we're releasing those all throughout the month of august leading up to the football season so it did give me an opportunity to kind of reset um uh and and think back to all the great shows that we've done but as you mentioned it's been a um a wild journey you know we we broadcast in um every ACC stadium with the exception of Syracuse and Pittsburgh now Syracuse uh um which is maybe what we'll talk about a little bit later uh in this podcast was uh, one that we didn't make the trip we didn't make uh, to see the Tigers play up there the two times and then Pittsburgh we haven't been to yet now we will eventually go to Pittsburgh and I imagine we'll broadcast the show from there but we've been to 12 states I've had 10 different co-hosts. I don't know if I run them off or what I I, I hadn't quite figured all that out. Uh, you know, a lot of great people, a lot of former players, um, as well including uh you know some of the former players willie corn co-hosted uh uh with me uh at one time um uh reggie merriweather will proctor uh, a lot of great people uh have been a part of the show but uh it really started um innocuously to to be honest with you I, i was a teacher in anderson um back in the late 1990s i i didn't go to broadcast school or anything and people who listened to me probably. Can figure that out, you know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a polished uh, broadcaster, so to speak. But um, I was a teacher, and I had a, a co-teacher of mine by the name of Ali Darby. And our principal at the time came to us and said, "Look, we, you know, we want to create a little FM radio station here at our school so that we can teach broadcast journalism to high school students." And um, I thought it was a great idea. And he asked if we would write a grant. Uh, to get uh uh the funding to do this little little radio station, and so uh we wrote the grant and we received the the grant and it was i think it thinking back it was around seventy thousand dollars i mean it was a substantial amount of money and then once we got the grant, we realized we don 't know what the heck we're doing i mean we don't i had i had no idea uh how to set up a radio station i had no idea you know i'm one of these guys that was struggling to you know, program my VCR at the time, you know, it it was not, it was not, you know, this was not in my DNA to be able to do this, so I knew we needed some help, and uh, I reached out to a couple of um, local radio, you know, music radio stations in the Greenville area, and I won't mention them by name, but they they didn't get back to me, or if they did, they weren't interested in helping out, so, of course, being a lifelong Clemson fan, uh, like yourself, um, uh, I said, well, you know, I listened to... WCCP at the time it was 104.9 and um I said well let me just call over there maybe maybe they can help uh with that and immediately uh WCCP was there to to uh jump in and help out the first guy that called us back was a guy by the name of Jeff Bright who still works with Clemson is he's, he's worked on the Clemson broadcast for many many years and he's still I believe is still at Clemson now but he, his moniker or his stage name if you want to call it that was uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff, and he ran the AM station at uh, WCCP, which was like a beach music station or something like that. And and he was great. And he came and he sh- he showed us how to buy all the equipment, how to plug it in. I mean, you know, we didn't even know how to run the audio in and out and all of that kind of stuff. He set up our little FM transmitter, which went about two miles uh, around the school, and he was great. Uh, so so the technical part, DJ uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff was able to help us with, but Allison and I didn't really have any idea of how to really do a radio show or teach students how to do a radio show. So uh, we reached out uh, also at WCCP to a, a guy by the name of Tommy Powell, who um, uh, it was at the time an a, a engineer for the station, kind of a production engineer for the station, and also hosted a uh, uh, an afternoon show with Butch Estes, who was the firmer, uh, former Furman uh, basketball head basketball coach, and they did a show. By, I think from three o'clock until six o'clock uh, every day, and um, so Allie and I started going over to WCCP on Thursdays and sat in the studio with Tommy and with Butch Estes, kind of learning how to do it, how to you know get calls on hold and and program commercials and you know just basically how to create a little rundown sheet of of doing a, a show and. It was it was really a cool experience to see, and over time, Tommy allowed us to you know give our opinions on the air from you know which was at the time it was like the, the coolest thing in the world. You know, I'm on the radio; people can hear me. And I, I remember calling my wife and saying, "Hey, tune in; we're gonna we're gonna be on the radio here in a minute." So you know, you can imagine we came kind of a long way. And in the episode of the podcast that I'm doing, I kind of get into the details of how we ended up being offered Ali and I a um Friday night high school scoreboard show and that was back in the days when um you didn't have a I mean there's no cell phones or no uh not not phones that were smartphones you know you right. couldn't just you couldn't just log on and get high school football scores you had to have people who were at the games who called into you to tell you the scores of the games I mean that was the only way of doing it and so we did that for a couple of years, and then Allie ended up working for the radio station. Uh, took a job with the radio station, and in 2003, in the spring of 2003, uh, she called me and said, "Hey, look, we're you know WCCP is committed to doing a a, a big time pregame show. Um, would you be interested in hosting it?" And um, and you know, of course, I I said yes, and so uh, it's just a real. Uh, roundabout way of coming into the radio business. No, no training really. Just kind of dumb luck and and falling into the right place at the right time.
1: Well, it, that's an interesting uh, journey because it's kind of how I ended up with this podcast, right? I I'd heard about some stories of players and always wanted to know more. I know that I knew that several of them followed me on social media, um, so I just reached out to one or two and said hey you know i'm thinking about doing this podcast and the feedback was incredible they're so thankful to have their story told so i also obviously have no broadcasting experience uh professionally uh minimal equipment i'm just doing it with what i have so um i've been down a similar road not on the radio but down a similar road it's kind of amazing when you have an idea in your head and all of a sudden it comes to fruition so you're ready to roll on show number one you said 2003 let's talk about your first show in 2003 and your first co-host
0: well you know uh when when i got the uh uh the the gig in the spring i actually asked Allie uh that spring would she co-host with me and um and she said well you know i'll I'll help out there and you know I'll, i'll help run the board on site and and, uh, and maybe, you know, talk to some fans that are milling about or something, but I- I'm not interested in being the co-host. So, um, you know, I, I needed a co-host. I, would certainly, you know, we weren't going to take calls. Clemson, um, you know, at the time and still to this day, and, and rightfully and understandably so, uh, because we were broadcasting on Clemson's campus, which was right there at the lawn at Littlejohn. Um, you know, Clemson doesn't allow us to take phone calls for the show because you know, I, and I understand it. I, at the time, Terry Don Phillips told us that, "Look, I, I'm, I'm happy to give you access to the." To the to the campus and to the the lot of Luchon, but we're not going to let you uh, um, have people call in and bash our coaches or or, or bash it. And and, and I understood that. And so we had a three-hour show where you don't take calls. I mean, that that takes – you start thinking about that. And that was in the days really before we we were able to get good player interviews, which we can do now. But at the time, we were getting the interviews, but it was hard to edit them. And uh, it was just really painstaking. So really we were going to be on the air for three hours – Without very many interviews, except for for head coach Tommy Bowden, always joined us. But um, other than that, it was just us talking. So I, I knew for three hours, there's no way I, I could do it. So in that spring, I had, uh, or excuse me, the year before 2003, I begun uh kind of moonlighting as a as a uh editorial writer for a website called cutigers.com, which I think uh is still in existence today. I'm I'm not hundred percent sure, but but uh the, the owner of that uh website was a guy that had come on our um Sunday show which I didn't mention earlier but that's part of the episode. I explain a little bit about that as well. But uh Allie and I had a had a Sunday show for a year or so as well prior to the pregame show coming on. And um and he came on with us a couple of times to talk recruiting, you know, the the recruiting classes and recruiting visits and all that kind of stuff. And I thought he was really good and and, and a smart guy. He's a Clemson grad, which I thought was, was important. So um I called him and said, Hey, can you co host this show for me? Now, um, uh, you know, the big reveal on that is is that was Roy Philpot. And so Roy was running uh C U Tigers at the time and um and so he was uh he accepted and became the first co-host uh, with me, and of course, Roy ended up um, hosting his own show at WCCP for many years, and right. then now, now, of course, with ESPN, you know, he, w- he went big time, you know. At point, you know? <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, but, but, Roy was the first, and is still to this day the the longest standing um, co-host on the show. He served for eight years with me.
1: Well, what was that first show like? Three hours, you know. That sounds like oh, that's that's easy. There's a lot of commercials and. No problem talking for three hours, but I can't imagine, personally, me, it's my personality, I can't imagine filling three hours with talk, even as good as Roy is. And and at one time I was a member of CU Tigers, so I know how good he was, and I know how good he is announcing games. But how did you fill three hours that first show? (laughs) Well, the first show, it was a
0: blur. If you'll recall, the the start of the 2003 season was – Georgia coming to town, you know, so we're not only doing our, our, our first pregame show, but it's not like we even have a, a warm-up game, you know, we didn't have the Furman <laughs> game to kind of ease ourselves into it, and and of course, noon kickoffs are always uh, a challenge, because we're on the air at six, which means wow. we're getting set up at, you know, four thirty, four forty five in the morning, so um, that first game was really a blur, if you'll if you recall, it's just a, a brutal hot day in Clemson, in fact, even yeah. at six o'clock a.m., we were sweating, I mean, it was you could tell when we went on the air <laughs> that this was going to be a problem on that day. And, uh, and, and we just kind of blurred through it. I, I, to this day, I don't remember much about the first show. I, I remember much about the first season and, and I'll mention that in a minute, but um I, I do remember being very nervous, you know, just like, I right. guess, uh um you know, your first time of doing anything, you, you're very nervous. Now I don't re- you know, it's all second nature to me now, but at the time I remember being very, very nervous in uh, doing the show but I just remember it being very hot and then of course on that day you know it wasn't a good day for the football team either as, as Georgia beat us 30-0 to zero, and, and Fred Gibson I think was a freshman that year and and uh and uh, they, they just they just knocked us in the face And David Green threw a couple touchdown passes to him and David Pollock was on defense for him so it was it was a humiliating day uh for the football team and an auspicious start to the 2003 season but uh it, it the 2003 season itself turned out to have a lot of drama involved in it.
1: Okay. Yeah, that 30 to nothing loss, that was uh not a good way to start for the Tiger pregame show. <laughs> um but but as you said, um for yourself and personally, you know, it it was a blur. Uh you were new, kind of like you know, the first podcast I would do, uh talking to a player, not sure what I'm getting but you're alive and on the air. I can always cut and edit it, but you're alive, so that's interesting. Now, one of the other shows, and, and just to re- re- reiterate, folks, Scott's going to be doing a 15-series podcast on on some of the shows, some of the bigger shows, So, and we'll include the uh, link and all the information in the show notes of this podcast. I wanted One, one that I wanted to talk about that you had on the list that uh you shared with me was the house of horror house of horrors that led to dabo becoming the head coach tell me about that episode
0: well it uh it, it was a, a bizarre and wild week really and it, and it kind of goes back to you know black monday which was october the 13th uh 2008 which is when uh tommy tommy bowden stepped aside at clemson uh after a a three and three start. Uh, you know, we were the preseason favorite that year to win the ACC championship, and 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 a lot of people's um, uh, you know uh, articles about winning the national championship. I think Clemson was preseason number eight that year, but we started out the year um, you know with a pretty good beat down against Alabama, thirty four to ten in the Georgia Dome. I think it was Nick Saban's first first or second year as, as coach there at, at, in Alabama, but it was uh, it was a, a, a beat down, and then of course. It all kind of came to a head um, when Clemson lost on a Thursday night, twelve to seven, to Wake Forest in Winston-Salem, and the story of Winston-Salem, I think, is uh, forever tied to Tommy Bowden in many ways. And um, it, it was dubbed by Roy uh, Philpott, who was my co-host at the time, as Clemson's House of Horrors, and it and it had good reason uh, for that. Back in back in two thousand and. Uh, Three Clemson lost forty-five to seventeen. Remember, I said two thousand three had a lot going on that year, and there's several of these um, uh, stories that intertwine with two thousand three um, uh, that 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 I that I will do. But uh, Clemson lost forty-five to seventeen in, back in two thousand three, and and really that almost was the end of the Bowden era at that moment. And I devoted an entire episode on the series to that week, which was you know is a story within a story. Then back in 2005, um, two years later, Clemson again lost to Wake Forest and Winston-Salem, 31-27. to It was the third straight loss of the season after starting the year that year with a big win over Texas A&M at home, if you'll remember Jad Dean with all the kicks in, in yeah. that game. So, and then, and then ironically, you know, so this house of horrors is going on for Tommy Bowden and Clemson with Winston-Salem. And then the ACC by a scheduling quirk, sends Clemson back to Winston-Salem in 2006. Again, so back-to-back years in Winston-Salem. And Clemson was trailing 17-3 to in that game, going into the last play of the fourth quarter, and you may remember that Sam Swank lined up for a field goal that would have put Wake Forest up 20 to three at the time. Uh, but a bad snap flew up into the air and a guy by the names of, uh, a name of Gaines Adams took it and went, uh, 40, uh, it was a 46 yard field goal, but took the ball at about midfield and ran for a touchdown that completely changed the momentum of that game. Clemson came back behind a Will Proctor touchdown pass to Aaron Kelly and, and also a long run by CJ and won the game. So I, I say to this day that the only anecdote that Tommy Bowden had to Winston Salem's House of Horrors was the late Games Adams.
1: Yeah, I uh, that was number ninety three on my countdown that I'm doing of of uh of the videos and um it was hard to that game is you know, it's still hard to believe that they pulled that game out. Now you mentioned that forty five to seventeen game. My memory's probably not as good as yours. I wasn't actually there. That was it was forty five to nothing at one point, wasn't it? That's correct. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Uh, I was in Texas at the time. I'm listening on the radio or on the computer, actually. In the dawn of the where you can listen to the game on the computer and. Uh, It was just unbelievable as a Clemson fan to be behind to Wake Forest forty-five to nothing.
0: It it was surreal in the stadium. Uh, You know, there was just a lot of anger and frustration. And and, you know, uh, in fairness, it was a very tumultuous time at that moment for for Bowden. I mean, you know, the the um, uh, you know he'd gotten Clemson kind of to the edge there a couple of times, but never over the top and you know, the loss to Alabama earlier in the season was just really uh, a tough one in that 2003 season. And then as you said, to, to fall behind so, so much uh, to Wake Forest and Winston-Salem, it it was just unheard of really. And, and, but, but I will say this, and this is, you know, kind of how the episode turns a little bit, you know, Tommy Bowden had that proverbial worm. He said, it'll always turn, you know, it's just uh it just takes a while sometimes. And, 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 um, you know, certainly Bowden struggled, uh, you know, specifically in getting Clemson over the top, but it was it was really Winston-Salem's house of horrors. You know, BB&T Field, this, this little high school football stadium in, in the middle of the most uh, benign group of fans that you could ever run into uh, to, that, that care very little about football. And I think that probably made it even more frustrating, quite frankly, is that right. this is not a fan base that even cares about football very much. And yet um, we couldn't get out of there with a win, with, with the exception of... Of Gaines Adams, kind of pulling that ball out of the air and going the other way, and but but I think time has shown uh, that we really undervalued uh, the impact that Tommy Bowden had on this program in a, in a couple of ways. And I look, I was as critical of, of Coach Bowden uh, as anybody, especially at that time. But he he really took Bowden, that is, took Clemson from that apathetic mediocrity of the the, the end of the Tommy West era when there's. You know, forty thousand people in the stands to watch a game against Wake Forest in the rain um, uh, one day. Just, just people had turned totally apathetic about the Clemson football program, and Bowden changed that. He gave an identity to the offense that we really still use. I mean, we're still a a high-paced, fast-paced, throw it to the wide receiver gazelles and let them catch it and run kind of offense. I mean, that's what we do. Well, well, Bowden brought that to Clemson. I mean, it wasn't there prior to 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 Tommy Bowden and. Uh, In many respects, I believe that the House of Horrors, which was Winston-Salem, it kept Bowden from reaching the top. But I believe it also expedited Clemson's ascension uh, to elite status because his uh, failure to win in Winston-Salem and his recommendation to Terry Don Phillips to allow Dabo Sweeney the interim position to finish out the 2008 season –
1: is why we
0: sit here today as uh, with two national championships now under our belts, three years of playoffs in a row, and, and maybe a preseason number one ranking to boot.
1: Yeah, I can't agree with you more. You know, there's a lot of not-so-good memories from that era, but they're, you know, ultimately, when you look at it, he brought us Davo, and what, as you said, what Clemson is today. So if, you know, for whatever happened during that time, you have to go through those struggles – to get to where we are today. He's the one that brought Dabo to Clemson and, as you said, recommended that he get the head job. So, yes, absolutely, I agree with you 100%. 100%. Another one on your list that I wanted to talk about, and I vaguely remember this uh, this story, but you have titled it uh, Staring Down David and Beth Whitehurst. This is September eighteenth, two 2004 at Texas
0: A&M. Yeah, that was uh, one of the more... Um in-your-stomach kind of moment, I think, for me. It was a great lesson uh, learned as well uh, in many respects. If you'll recall, to kind of set this up, the week before, um, uh, on September the 9th, uh, we had just one of the craziest losses in, in Clemson history. That was uh, with a, a little over a minute to play. We were up 24-21 to 21 over Georgia Tech, and Charlie uh, Whitehurst, who was our quarterback at the time, of course, uh, took a took a play, ran the ball, and slid. Uh, and he ended up sliding about a yard short of a first down. I, I think he could have gotten the first down had he just kind of lowered his head and and, uh, and 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 fallen forward. Now, no one's—I que- wasn't questioning even at the time Charlie's toughness. If you'll recall, the year before in the Tangerine Bowl, he just took a beating against Texas Tech and kept getting up and and just you know. So it wasn't about his manhood, but it was a critical error because sliding short of the first down on the next play, Clemson handed the ball off to Yusuf Kelly. And he fumbled. He, had, he would have had the first down, but he fumbled, and we recovered it, but we were a yard short of the first down and ended up having to punt the ball with about uh, 50 seconds left in the game. And that's the infamous uh, – actually, it's less now. It's about 20, 25 seconds left in the game. That was the infa- infamous Jeff Rigsby snap that kind of dribbled back and and um, uh, Cole Chasen, the punter for the Tigers, couldn't handle it, ended up falling on the ball at about the 10-yard line. And on the next play, Reggie Ball – threw the ball in the end zone to Calvin Johnson, who out-jumped Justin Miller, and Georgia Tech snatched win out of the out of the jaws <laughs> of defeat, I mean, in literally uh, that, that, that manner. So it was a tough week, and Charlie did not have a good game uh, in, in, against Georgia Tech. He actually threw two In addition to sliding, uh, short of the first down, he had two key interceptions in that game, and as I mentioned earlier in this podcast, I was writing at the time some editorials for CUTigers.com. And I wrote an article that was pretty critical of Charlie at the time. Now, looking back on it, uh, you know I'm not really an expert on on quarterback play, and probably shouldn't have said some of the things I said in the article. But I said them, and I actually used the word at one point, uh, or the words at one point, "happy feet" in in referring to Charlie in the pocket against Georgia Tech. Now, I think the video of the game will prove me to be correct, okay, or at least somewhat correct. Now, in Charlie's defense, the offensive line was putrid in that game, and he was really literally running for his life most of the game, but, but Charlie w- was flushing himself out of the pocket, and Charlie's not an out-of-the-pocket kind of quarterback. He's a, he's a guy that sits back there and slings it, so the, the, during that week, I was very critical of Charlie in this article. Uh, on CU Tigers, and about Wednesday, I received an email, and it was from David Whitehurst, and of course, is Charlie's dad, a former NFL quarterback, um, you know, a, a guy that had a lot of respect in the NFL community, and you know, without getting into the details of the email, David dressed me down pretty good. I mean, he he gave it to me. Uh, he he countered uh, multiple opinions of mine. Um, he referenced a lot of things that were going on, and uh, and and basically he let me have it <laughs> you know and, and 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 probably i deserved it uh to some degree so uh you know that that's that set the stage and we emailed a few times that week and it didn't get any better the the conversation degenerated as the week went on so
1: really? yeah. yeah yeah
0: and again uh, and i'm not that's going to sound like a criticism of david it's not and and even in the in the in the episode i talk about david and beth uh and and they were doing what I think every every parent would have done, and that is defend their son in that moment. And um, that's part of the lesson that I took away from this whole episode is that um, you know these are players, and when you go down on the field before the game and they take their helmets off, they're young they're young kids that are just in really big bodies, and they have mamas and daddies that care for them. And uh, and, and and so I get it. I, I would have probably done the same thing. David did tell me later on that he, he regretted sending the email, but but at any rate, at that moment, uh, we go out to College Station, Texas, the first trip out there, and there's a lot of stories behind that trip as well that that are in the episode that I published. But um, we are broadcasting – Roy and I are broadcasting the pregame show
1: at a tent
0: that is sitting outside of Kyle Field, right behind Kyle Field. It's an Ipte alumni association event. And so we're running late. I had to go pick up Pete Yannity at this this resort where the team was, like an hour and a half away from the stadium and, and, and we get in traffic. I get lost on these cattle ranches. It's just a it's it's a it's a it's a comedy of errors to get to the stadium. So I'm literally setting up the equipment with Roy with like ten minutes to go until we're on the air. So I'm not looking at anybody in the crowd. There's a bunch of clumps of people there. I'm just setting up, setting up, setting up. And so finally we get it like 30 seconds to spare. We're, we're connected. Um, and you know, the intro music comes on and we start the Tiger pregame show. So for the first time, I look up, literally going onto the air and I look up and sitting five feet in front of me are David and Beth Whitehurst. They had plopped their chairs down directly in front of me for the Tiger pregame show. Now you talk about your heart kind of dropping into your stomach. Uh, that was that moment for me. It was. Oh no! I mean, I'm not, the emails weren't great during the week, but this is going to be really <laughs> not great because look, I got a mama, and I know mamas sometimes are worse than their daddies. Oh
1: yeah, oh yeah. So, so how, long, how long did they stay there? Did they stay there for the whole show? Well,
0: obviously, the first segment is very awkward. You know, I mean, literally, he's five feet from me, uh, and 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 uh, and looking straight at me, and the whole deal, and so. Um, uh you know we get to the first break and 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 I'm like oh what are we going to do here i mean I, this is just just really awkward and so beth whitehurst uh charlie's mom gets up out of her chair and comes towards me and again i'm thinking all right this mama is really really upset with me what what am i going to do and she came over to me and and put her hand on my shoulder and said come on over here i want i want you to uh, meet david in person and I and she saw – I kind of looked at her sideways like, I don't know if this is a good idea or not. <laughs> and she said, don't worry, honey. Everything's going to be all right. And so we walked over there, and the long and short of the story is is that David was very gracious. Uh, he had already kind of walked back, and you know, he said, "You know, I probably shouldn't have sent the email to you. Uh, you understand why I, I took that criticism personally, and I, I got it. I said, yes, sir. Totally understand it. Um, and and so we had a great conversation. The show went on. They they stayed there. We ended up after the show. I, I hung around with them for a little bit, ate and and had a drink or two with them. And it all worked out. But it was a great lesson for me. And I've I've tried to keep this uh, the, the David and Beth Whitehurst story at the front on the front of my brain every time I'm on the air or on Twitter or or wherever I'm giving an opinion about something about our players. I've always tried to remember that – to put this in perspective, th- these kids for the most part are doing the best that they can do, and while they are in a public forum and it's okay to criticize them, there's a there's a way to do that I think and a way not to do it. And I've learned to not be that guy that is the, the one that's going to be um, um, critical beyond what I think is an acceptable thing, knowing that there's a mama and or a daddy out there that, that potentially might read that.
1: Yeah, I think uh what's really helped me and I, I certainly appreciate that especially doing the podcast with the 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 former players. Um we lose as as fans. I feel like we lose sight that these are as you said 18, 19, 20-year-old kids. They certainly don't want to go out there and, and make mistakes or or not try. Um you know, the ones that I've talked to that have had um uh problems or or failed on the field sometimes it crushes them uh they want to succeed more than any fan does these are guys that are out there you know in the weight room all off season they're working their craft for hundreds or more hours a year they don't want to go out there and fail they're they're, they're you know their whole goal is to, to succeed um and be a, a great player and a great team player but so it's really helped me understand that it, it sounds strange to say it scott but it's really helped me understand that they're humans and they're 19 20 and 21 year old humans you know um uh, trying to do their best so i i really appreciate it. that's a great story i really uh really appreciate you sharing that story um especially that everything worked out at the end and there wasn't a um wwe event on the tiger pregame show
0: that's right now, and, per, and for the record i would have lost that battle yeah. <laughs> david's like six four, two two hundred twenty. 220 I, I don't think i could have handled it so. <laughs>
1: well yeah I'm, then i'm really glad it worked out uh number number 12 on your list is the end of a end of the personal streak tell me about this one
0: Yeah, you know, when I started this thing in 2003, we said, you know, we got to the first game or two, and then we said, okay, well, Clemson's going to play on the road. We didn't even really think through all this. You know, are we going to go on the road? What are we going to do? You know, so we we didn't have that conversation prior to the first home game – our first road game in 2003. But I I was the kind of fan that – and I've been going to games since, uh, you know, the the, the mid-1970s. I would go to one or two away games a year maybe, you know – uh, you know, a lot of times to Raleigh or, or certainly Columbia. I've been down to Columbia many times. I've been Chapel Hill. So I had been in Atlanta uh, with uh, Georgia Tech. So I'd been to kind of the close games, you know, the ones you can get to and back in in one day. Um, but I was never one of these road warrior kind of kind of guys. And 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 part of this episode that you're referencing is is kind of a tribute to to those road warrior fans uh, who I, I I have a deep amount of respect for. But um so in 2003, when we hit the first road game, we said, well, let's just go. Let's just broadcast it at the stadium. And so we ended up finishing the 2003 season, and we had gone to every game, including at the end of the season was the uh, the Peach Bowl against Tennessee uh, in that year. So
1: um
0: we get to 2004, and we were like, well, you know, that worked out pretty well. Let's just go to all the games again. And so it just kind of started snowballing, and it reached a, a point where – I was about 130 straight games into it, um, you know that you know from the 2003 season all the way up in into uh, when when this the streak would end, which would be uh, in the 2013 season. But uh, it was a lot of crazy trips. I was, you know, still I still to this day am in education, and um, you know when I was a teacher or an assistant principal, uh, it was pretty easy um, to. I wouldn't say easy, but it was easy to not have to be encumbered on a Friday night. I remember leaving a a, a Dorman Burns football game uh and driving all night to go to a, a Clemson, Florida State game and broadcast a show in Tallahassee and, and you know, there was a lot of silly, stupid trips like that that I probably shouldn't have been driving that late at night and all that kind of stuff, but, but we made it work. We got all the way there. But then um uh in two thousand thirteen I ended up uh taking the principalship at Malden High School here in in Greenville, and immediately that caused some problems because, uh, of course, Malden plays on Friday nights, and if Malden is at at home playing football, I need to be uh, at home, and really I need to be at Malden when they're playing away, so I knew there was going to be a problem, and compounding that in in the 2013 season, Clemson was going to play at Syracuse and at Maryland. Maryland was still in the conference at the time. Now the College Park trip is, if you drive, it's about nine hours. It's, it's not terrible, uh, and it's pretty easy to fly into. But Syracuse was going to be a challenge, and we did not know at the time what time the the either one of those games are going to be. Obviously, you know they don't announce the times of the games until a week or so before them. So in the off season, I didn't know that you know Syracuse potentially could have been a noon kickoff, which means I was going to be at Malden until midnight. And then somehow had to get to the Carrier Dome on on commercial flights uh, by you know five o'clock in the morning the next morning. It just the, the math right. wasn't working. I mean, and so I went to Chris Downey, who was the the uh, the manager at the time at WCCP, and I said, "I, I think this thing's got to stop." And you know, we had at the time really promoted it. You know, we're live on location where the Tigers play. And um, we talked about the streak, you know, it was 132 straight games. I mean, we really built that up as as kind of a badge of honor that we were there. And um, so it was a tough decision, uh, but we realized that it just wasn't going to work. I wasn't going to be able to do it. So um, as the season got a little closer, I also looked at the schedule and realized that we were playing NC State on a Thursday night that year uh, in Raleigh. And I thought, you know what, if the streak's going to end – you know, let's just let it end and and not wait till the Syracuse game. Uh, let's just pull the plug at, at on a Thursday night. ride. I hate Thursday night games. I've always hated Thursday night games. And I said, we'll we'll pull the plug and and, and I'll do the show from Clemson. So we ended up doing the show for the for the game in Raleigh um, uh, on Lake Kiwi for a bunch of WCCP sponsors and people who had given money to the station uh, for sponsorships. And I, I broadcast the show, and I can remember it vividly. Leaving Lake Kiwi and driving to my house, and and I sat down with my wife and, and my two daughters and watched a football game on TV. And it was the first time since um, 2003 that, uh, and that was over 10 years uh, and 132 football games of watching a game on TV. And it was, you know, to be honest with you, it was weird. It was very, very weird that first time, and um, and it was very bittersweet, but. It's kind of like a Band-Aid. Once you rip it off, it's not that big of a deal anymore, and and, and I've missed a few since then. We're really at almost all the games. We we missed the Syracuse both times. Clemson's been up there, um, but there's a game or two I'll miss for, for a variety of reasons, but uh, once the streak ended, there wasn't this pressure to do something crazy to try to get to it, but uh watching a commercial and having your own restroom to go to at at the, the timeout break is is just uh it was almost a foreign concept to me at the
1: time. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say 10 years. You went to every game and did a pregame show. That, that's really really incredible. One of the things I thought about and, uh, and it's really a testament um to the effort that I I can't even imagine having to um uh eat, Make all the arrangements. And I guess there's, there's a question. When you go on the road, do you coordinate, how do you coordinate that with the home team, whoever Clemson's playing on the road? I mean, if you go to, let's say Boston College, do you coordinate with the Boston College staff or you, do you just find a place to host your show? How's that work?
0: well you do you do have to coordinate uh for a couple of reasons number one we we always uh receive you know press credentials so i'm I'm typically uh communicating with them ahead of ahead of that but uh if we're gonna broadcast from inside the stadium, I would say over the course of the of the two hundred shows we've probably been inside the stadium in the press box you know hundred and twenty of those times maybe a maybe a little bit more um than that but but we've tried over the years uh and I say in the stadium on the road, we haven't had 200 road games, but when we're on the road, we typically have broadcasts inside the stadium. So when that happens, and to use your example with Boston College, what we'll typically do is coordinate with Boston College about getting in. Because here's the other thing, and that's one of the stories that you'll hear uh, about Maryland, and and we had a, we had an issue with that one time. If you're a noon kickoff, you know, again, we're arriving at you know 4:45 or 5 to set up. The equipment there are times where if you don't have that coordinated with the other school you can't there's you can't get in the stadium now right. that, that that has gone down over time because now every game is televised uh you know back back in those days every when we started not every game was even televised so right. because they're televised now typically television crews are there uh you know they're they're getting going because they it's a lot of work to get all that set up but uh, yeah we'll coordinate with them and, and find out a, a place in the stadium that would be appropriate for us to do. A lot of times we'll do it from the radio booth um that Clemson will broadcast it you know that uh, uh at the time Pete Yannity or Don Munson would have broadcast from inside that okay. radio booth. Sometimes we'll do it from the concourse, sometimes you know it just really depends but 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 we've also really Fell in love with trying not to broadcast in the stadium. That's a very sterile environment, as you can imagine. Nothing's going on in the stadium six hours prior to the game. You know, they're, they're testing the PA systems and and all that kind of stuff. But uh, the band will come out every now and then and practice a little bit. But um, so we try to broadcast externally when we can. But and it's much easier to do now from a technology standpoint. The technology back really until you know four or five years ago was we had to hook up to a phone line. Or a DSN line, you know, uh, you know, try to get into a network line because there was no Wi-Fi. I mean there was no 4G, 5G. I mean none of that stuff. It, it didn't exist in the sense that we could tap into the system that we used to broadcast out. Well, now, you know, I could broadcast the Tiger pregame show from the 50-yard line if I wanted to. I mean there's yeah. no, you have no – as long as you've got power, uh, and you really don't need that because the the system's battery-operated. It can be battery-operated. Uh, you know, you can broadcast from anywhere. So, as the technology has allowed us to do it, we have taken the opportunity to broadcast remotely more. I remember um, uh, last year at Virginia Tech, I broadcast from a parking lot,
1: you know, where we, where we
0: set up a tailgate, you know, we put up a tent, put out a few chairs, and broadcast the pregame show. I mean, it, it was, we can go really now anywhere. But back in those days, you couldn't, and that's why we spent most of our time in a stadium.
1: You know, I, I appreciate you uh, telling us about your, quote, real job, because I I don't think people realize that, you know, you just don't do the Tiger pregame show. You've got a real job as a principal, and which, which made me think. You were talking about Malden playing on Fridays and you needed to be there. What do you think about the ACC and the Friday night games now? I guess your streak is over, so it's not – imperative as you said that you make it to every game um I'm, and clemson doesn't have a friday night game this this year but what do you do on a friday night game scenario well
0: I, i'll say this my honest answer to that is is uh i, I don't like it uh, i don't like thursday or fridays i thought there was a time though in all honesty uh and fairness to the acc i thought there was a time where the acc I wouldn't I wouldn't go as far as to call it a second class football conference, but it certainly was a, a it was a, a good step below the SEC and the Big Ten and, and maybe even the Pac-10 as far as the quality of play. And I'm talking about you know uh, during Florida State's reign there in the late 1900s when when or late 1990s I should say, <laughs> um, and then and then even into the early 2000s when they really had one competitive football team being Florida State and it, and it was the you know the eight dwarfs after that or whatever it was so. Um, I thought the ACC at the time probably needed the exposure the Thursday night. Um, I think all of that ended, and, and therefore, you know, 10 years ago, I would have said maybe the ACC needs the Thursday night, and, and if they were going to do it then, I would say maybe they need the Friday night to build the exposure. But let's be honest. You know, the ACC has won two national championships in the past, whatever, six, seven years. Um, they've had a member uh, school in the championship game three years in a row. Um, The ACC doesn't need that anymore, and I'm really disappointed that that continues. And I don't know if it's contractually done years in advance, and I I don't know all the backstory to that, but I don't think the ACC should be playing football on Thursday or Friday night. I think you leave that to the MAC and and the WAC and all these other conferences that need that exposure. And I'm very disappointed, outside of my personal disagreement with the Friday night and that being dedicated to high school football, uh, or should be dedicated to high school football. I just think it cheapens the product when you don't need it to be cheapened. I think the ACC product is good enough to stand on its own.
1: Yeah, I, I have very, very similar feelings. I think, you know, I and I got into a Twitter back and forth with someone on this, uh, you know, oh, it's not that big of a deal, and, you know, yeah, it, it's a standalone thing and I said yeah it's a standalone alone because everybody else is is playing on Saturdays <laughs> right. um yeah you know and I said when when Alabama plays on a Friday night you let me know when Texas plays on a Friday night and, and Texas hasn't been good for for a few years now but they're not playing on a Friday night I think they played on one Thursday in 20 years um so you're you're having you know yes it's it, I, the argument was well it gets exposure I said who is going to stay home to watch Clemson and Boston College? You know, it's probably going to be 42 to 10. That wouldn't watch it on Saturday. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna blow off my kids' high school football game to stay home and watch Clemson. And, and in your case, you know, the school you work at, you're not going to say, "Hey, I'm sorry, Malden. I'm not going to your game. Clemson and Boston College are on Friday night. What a draw. I mean, yeah, you know. exactly." And and, and
0: and the other side of that too, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. The other side of that too is that if the conference, if the ACC that is, feels the obligation to do that for whatever reason, from a financial standpoint and all that, you know, there are, there are teams that you know in the ACC that do need, uh, you know, that are yep. on the bottom tier right now that do need that exposure. But it, it's absurd to put uh, your your Clemson's or your Florida State's or it's just absurd. I I, I don't and And I get it it's all about money, you know that it's all it's right. all about money, and they're using Clemson as a way well we'll give you we'll give you number one Clemson against Syracuse because people will want to see Clemson play um on that Thursday night. they don't care about seeing Syracuse and Pittsburgh on the Thursday night. they want to see Syracuse and Clemson. I get all that, but at some point, I think uh the, the schools in the a c c that uh you know are the breadwinners are going to say enough's enough this is you know what we're doing on the field uh is 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 far and away uh good enough to to validate this conference and and we don't need the we don't need to be cheapened by this Thursday and Friday night
1: Right. If they wanted to put Boston College and Syracuse on Friday night, I don't have a problem. The problem I had was Clemson and Florida State. You know, I'm not obviously not a giant Florida State fan, but I thought that cheapened their brand could be on Friday night at Boston College, and you could see it on the, you know, it was pouring rain, I think it ended up being 15 to nothing, or some, it was a weird score, it was a weird game, uh, I, the teams didn't look prepared to play, uh, just, I, I think it cheapens the the product, it's almost like watching an NFL team play on Thursday, and how the games aren't as good as they are on Sunday. Um, but anyway, off of my soapbox, so you're doing a Fifteen is is fifteen the number of fifteen podcast series on the, some of the stories we touched on today, but also some other ones we didn't have time to touch on. So talk a little bit about the, the podcast series and where the listeners can find this. This is Scott's a wealth of knowledge if you haven't learned from this podcast about the games that stick out in our memories. And as you were talking, Scott, I was like, I was thinking back. You started off with that Georgia game. I was like, oh, no, here we go. Uh, (laughs) But obviously you're a wealth of knowledge. So I'm actually really looking forward to this podcast series. So talk about the series a little bit and where it can be found.
0: Well, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, as we looked at a way to how to chronicle, um, you know some of the stories of, of of the 200 shows. It'll be 200 shows uh, for the season opener this year uh, against Furman, and I just thought you know with the technology today, let's just do this via audio for posterity. You know my. My my grandkids can go back and listen to some of this stuff, uh, you know, if, if they want to, to see some of the trials and tribulations. So there's 15 of them. I
1: there are really about
0: 25 that I I I, I thought about doing, but I, I whittled it down to 15. I thought those were the best 15 stories. We've touched on some of them here today. There there are others. There are some great stories, some some fun, some 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 strange things, weird things, some. You know, heated things at times, uh, so it kind of runs the gamut, and within each of the episodes, I also try to set the stage of what was going on in the season at that time, much like we did today in these stories, and, and putting them in perspective, and, and walking you down memory lane a little bit, so they're all housed at WCCPFM.com, and uh, we will... Uh, continue releasing them up until the Friday before the Furman game. So, we have a whole month in August of releasing all 15 of them. So, you can check the ones that have already been released, you can go back and listen to if you haven't yet. And then, all the ones that are released uh, up until the Friday before the Furman game. You can, in addition to that, you can follow me on Twitter at Tiger Pregame. You can also uh, go to the Tiger Pregame show on Facebook. I link all of those when they're released uh, out and, uh, and and, 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 listen to them.
1: And they're really just my,
0: um, you know, homage to Clemson. I mean, I, I, I'm blessed to be able to, to, uh, have the opportunity to do this. I, you know, Tim Bure, um, you know, who of course will not serve in his new role uh, or his role anymore at Clemson, but was always so good to me, uh, uh, and, giving me what I needed to do, what I needed to do at Clemson. And of course, um, uh, Terry Don Phillips and and, and and all that he did at the time as well, and, and Dan Radakovich now as athletic director. They're all great people. So this was my way of just trying to uh, pay homage and thank them and getting it for posterity and, and also to tell some of these stories. So I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk a little bit about them today and, and, and also directing people to the ones uh, that they can listen to on their own time. And hopefully this will help bridge that very critical gap between right now – and the start of the football season when we're all just dying to see the Tigers play.
1: 200. It'll be your two hundred show on September 1st uh, against Furman. It's just incredible. And it shows your dedication to Clemson. You traveled, you know, it, the, the pregame show, and, and I live in Texas, right, so I'm not typically at the games but I can tell you this from the times I've listened, I felt like I was there. As you said, you're on the lawn at Little John and it's taking me back to my time at Clemson. It's just been an incredible, incredible uh, run. And wow. you and your co hosts your various co-hosts had a way of making me feel 1200 miles away or so, making me feel like I was there. I could picture it, I, I could see what was happening. Took me, also took me back to my time at Clemson. So it, it, it is great. And we'll of course include the, the ad, the, the, uh, the web address in the show notes for this podcast. It's been incredible talking to you, Scott. I sincerely appreciate your time. Looking forward to the podcast series. Uh, so everybody please check it out. Scott, thank you so much for your time and, uh, good luck with the series and good luck on your 200th show. I'll be listening.
0: I appreciate it, and I'll be doing the same, checking your stuff out as well every day. appreciate all you do. Have a great one.
1: Touchdown with a second left. Watson hits Renfro, and Clemson grabs a 34-31 lead and is one second away from the second national championship in school history.